Well, uh, good morning. I, uh, it's practically, I thought I was going to start. No, I know, but... Go ahead. I was just going to introduce us. Oh, good. I didn't want you to jump. Normally, this is where um, Matt... Uh, I, I you normally don't need amplification. We have four children, and um, I have a loud voice, and so does Matt. But normally, this is where Matt opens up playing um, piano, and we start with a song. But we've lost our piano, and so... We're done with that. I, uh, I went to college in Portland, Oregon, and I got my degree in um, biblical studies. I, I like to say I got a BS in BS. And so, um, <laughs> and so while I was there, I thought, you know, I might someday marry a pastor. And so I thought, like any great pastor's wife, I ought to know how to play piano. So I took a semester of piano, and after like a few weeks, I thought, this is just wrong. This is wrong. In so many ways, this is not ever going to turn out well. So I just thought, well, forget it. I just won't ever marry a pastor. But in God's grace and what he did, he gave me a pastor as a husband who knows how to play the piano. So that's like, seriously, because I was bad. It was never going to get better. So tell them about our family. Well, we have four kids, and they are they were all in college at the same time last year. Plus a little girl who was a healing the children kid that we had when she was 14, and we're, help, we're paying for her to go to college in Honduras. Her name's Lesti, and she goes to Olancho Catholica Universidad, and it's $700 a semester. So we were thinking of sending all of our children <laughs> to rural Honduras. But we didn't, and it is just so good to be here with you. Uh, a couple of you have asked about our daughter Jillian. While we were doing this last year on the armor of God, we she got word from a dermatologist that she had melanoma on her leg, and you guys all prayed, and it was such uh, a comfort for us, but we were freaked out, and it was interesting how my prayer changed from, uh, Lord, let it not be so, let it not be so, to, Lord, let them be accurate. And the great news was, even though there was a chance that it could have moved into lymph nodes, it hadn't. So she has a nice gouge on her leg, and she um, uh, is doing great, and she graduated along with Hunter, our five-year senior, who graduated. So two down and two And he has that thing, job. This is his first day. His first day at school, he's teaching um, special ed, third and fourth grade, and he, did I mention he has a job? A job. It's like the glorious thing. Check one off the payroll. So So one thing that was really neat that we got to do, Asbury Seminary um, led a Journeys of Paul tour kind of a cruise, and we had the opportunity to go on it. We didn't go like that. We didn't go like that, no. One day my stomach went like that. But what we did was we had um, the opportunity to visit Philippi. And it was pretty amazing, um, but one thing hit me so hard and with Philippi and also with Ephesus, which is in Turkey. Philippi was in Greece, in Macedonia. And you walk there, and it's just incredible to realize this is where these letters were written to and where some of the apostles lived and visited, but it's just a pile of rocks. It's really just a bunch of rocks. Like if you've ever been to like one of the Indian mounds, you know, they call them here. They're like these mounds. mounds. And there's, 
hundreds of theories, but nobody really knows. Well, the difference with Philippi, though, is I thought, okay, here were these tiny group of people in this massive town, especially Ephesus. And now the, this massive city, it would have been like going to Los Angeles or Detroit or one of those. This massive city is just rumble, just rubble. And this tiny group of people has spread to one third of the earth. And it, that was just such a contrast. Imagine how intimidated they must have potentially could have felt being this tiny group of people with this incredible message that they had been given and entrusted with and shared. And the message now has exploded around the world. And the massive city that was sort of dominating their lives was nothing but a pile of rocks that the Greek government doesn't even have enough money to excavate properly. So we're talking this week about Philippians. And this morning, we're going to talk about Paul and his life, and we're going to read the whole book in one setting because that's how people would have heard it. You know, not everyone could read in the first century. So that's one thing we're going to do. And then tomorrow through Friday, we'll take one chapter each day. And so I want to talk a little bit about Paul, whose original name was Saul. And Saul of Tarsus he wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Talk about an influential person. And here's the deal, though. One thing that hit me in this little old book I read called The Twelve, and it's this. Paul wasn't the only one doing this. He's the only one that we know about because Paul, as far as we know, is the only one who had his own personal, like, recording secretary that was traveling with him. And so he's the only one that we have the, the full sample of his life. He was the only one who had a biographer with him. And the biographer's name, anybody know? Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And so, in a way, that just gives me more assurance and more confidence that it wasn't just this one thread working through this one person, Paul. But Matthew was doing his thing, and Thomas was doing his thing, and all the disciples were doing their thing. But Paul's we know about because God saw fit to have Luke with him. And some of the book of Acts, and we'll hit a couple spots this week, you, you hear it go from being about Paul traveling to we went by boat to such and such, meaning Luke was actually with him on some of his journeys. So I want to give you some of the backstory of Paul because it really makes a difference. Paul was born to a Jewish family, and he was a Hebrew of Hebrews is what he calls himself. <laughs> Philippians 3.5 talks about that. And Paul's parents must, or Saul, I'll call him Saul now, Saul's parents must have owned property for him to be a citizen of both Tarsus and of Rome. And as a young man, as a youth, Saul was sent to Jerusalem to study as a Pharisee with a man named Gamaliel. And he talks about this in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. And the Pharisees were looking for a Messiah. They were amazing people in the Jewish community in Israel and in Palestine. They were looking for a Messiah, but they just weren't looking for Jesus. 
they had a whole different picture. And I think that's pretty significant. What happened was um, Jesus was Jesus. And it freaked out many of the Pharisees. Now, some Pharisees did come to faith, but not Saul. Saul actually fought against the Christians, and you can first read about him in Acts chapter 7 and 8. And so he would go around and he would get them arrested. It's interesting because at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, it says that the men laid their cloaks at the foot of a man named Saul. Now, we don't know 100% that that's our Saul that we're talking about, but very likely it could have been because Not too long after that is when his conversion happened. In Acts chapter 9, this would be around 34 AD. Does anybody in here like dates, kind of to spread things around? We've got, oh, good, because I've got dates for you. Sorry, honey. So. I like dates. (laughs) Just not those dates. Well, so Paul was on it. Saul was on his way to Damascus, the road to Damascus. And on the Damascus road, Christ appeared to him, making him realize he was persecuting the very God that Saul claimed to worship. And he was blinded. And at the same time that this happened, he was struck down. There was a man named Ananias. And Ananias had a vision. And if I was Ananias, I would be like, whoa. You've got to be kidding because the 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 dream that Ananias had was that he was going to take in this major persecutor and have to care for him. Like then Saul actually shows up. And when you think of Saul coming to Damascus to destroy the Christians and now they've got to take him in, it almost could turn your it turns my stomach to think about it. And this is 2000 years and I know the end of the story. But think of the bravery and the radical faith of Ananias, who did that. And so what happens is Saul um, changes his name to Paul, probably so that they wouldn't think it was the same guy. I don't know. But Paul went from Damascus back to Jerusalem to speak to the Jews there and say, wait a minute. This may not be right. And in Acts chapter 12, the persecution intensifies in Palestine. And the first of the original 12 disciples, James, is executed by King Herod Agrippa. And Peter is arrested. And then what happened, then Paul receives his call to go to the Gentiles, which means the non-Jewish people. And so in around 36 AD, he goes to Cilicia and to Syria. And for about 10 years, we don't exactly know what he did. Luke wasn't on the scene, I guess. And so what happened is, so he's converted in about 34. He goes to Tarsus about 36 for the silent years in Cilicia and and Syria. And then he goes on his first missionary journey. And he hits a lot of towns. And his pattern for mission was he'd go to cities and lands where the gospel hadn't been preached, and he'd usually begin with the synagogues because they at least understood God and with Jews and Gentiles who had been drawn to Israel's God. And the message would be shared then with the entire city, and usually the Gentiles responded better to the Jews, to the message of Jesus. And then, of course, somebody would get upset because it, 
it would change the economy. It was a message that was very foreign and threatening to people. And so Paul would get kicked out and he'd move on to the next city. And then he'd remain in contact with many of those places. And he would return and he'd ordain those people who grew in the faith to be the leaders of those churches. He went back to Jerusalem in about 48 A.D., and because some new missionaries had come that were saying, no, really, you've got to become Jewish before you can become Christian. And that was really clouding the message of the gospel. Another interesting thing that happened around the same time is the emperor Claudius, back in Rome, kicks out all the Jews from Rome. And this is recorded in the annals of Roman history because, and, and he blames it, or the historian blames it on a man named Crestus which is very similar, by, except for one letter, to Christ. So he thought maybe it was this uprising of one man when, in fact, it could have been the Christians who were originally under the Jewish umbrella. The Jews kind of kicked him out from their protection because Rome left the Jews alone because they had a well-organized and established religion. So he goes on his second missionary journey. This is now the early 50s. And he goes to Antioch and Derby and Lystra and Phrygia and Galatia and Troas and Samothrakia. You just got to say it with authority, whether you're pronouncing it right or not. <laughs> just saying. If you're ever reading in church, pretend like you know what you're doing. Because, like, who else really knows? <laughs> I mean, the scholars do, but. In Apollonia and Thessalonica, which is now a great big city, in Berea, where they wanted to test what Paul was saying with the scriptures, and Athens and Corinth and Centrea and Ephesus and Caesarea and Antioch and Philippi. And this is recorded in Acts chapter 16. Which is kind of where I take over. You know, the whole idea of Paul um, or Saul becoming Paul, that whole idea of somebody so evil changing. I think is hard for me personally to understand. Um, I'm always suspect when somebody who um, has a lot of power, very evil, um, even today in our in our time, kind of says, "Oh, I've I've come to know Christ. I've changed." Um, I last year in the last year, I've heard a number of times Manuel Ortega, right? That's his name. Became a believer. He was a Colombian warlord. I think he was a ruler in Colombia, but just evil, really evil man. That was in prison near Miami and became a believer and was actually um, uh, uh, discipled by a number of men. And then, and so, but I'm just suspect, you know, I'm suspect. Here's one that I'm going to throw out. No, I'm not because it's, especially when they're in prison, right? Yeah, exactly right. So, anyway, but. Paul, Saul, who became Paul, had an incredible impact on the world. And really, we owe all that we have today in 2017 to what Paul did. So I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 16 because it best explains um, the whole situation in Philippi. We're giving you the history of Philippi just to make it um, a little bit, I don't know, sometimes we hear it all, but we never really, I don't ever really pay attention. So I always need the re. The reminder, and I'm going to read in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. And you can either read along with me or you can just listen. So they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Mysia, they were trying to get to Bithynia. 
And the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought, see it was he, 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 and we, because Luke joined him, sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They're going from Asia now into Macedonia, which is Europe, which is Greece. So therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. He didn't probably have any children. And turning, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before, before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your household. And, he spoke, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. 
Now, when day came, the chief magistrates set, sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported those words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now, therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, meaning himself, and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. And they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. What an adventure. Do you see the pattern of Paul going, Paul and Silas? Um, first of all, they were heading to Asia Minor. But what happened? What stopped them? The Holy Spirit, the Lord. How many, anybody here ever have a dream or a picture in your mind that you felt was a, given to you by God, by God's Spirit? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a word. You know, um, my sister had God speak to her um, and heard an audible voice, but I've never heard an audible voice. Sometimes an idea or an image comes into my mind. Um, but most often the Holy Spirit, to me, the way I describe it best is it's like a nudge. Anybody get nudges? Like I should go talk to that person or I need to not say anything and just listen. Really, I get those nudges, honey. That's my elbow. <laughs> That's not God's holy. I mean, okay, maybe, but. Well, <laughs> That's, a lot of people call my wife their God's two by four. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Not to your face. <laughs> she does a Bible study on Tuesday mornings and Wednesday nights and has about 80 or 90 women in it, and that's what they call her. But, oh, come on. You're acting like you didn't know that. They, her friends tell it to her face. Well, so, he, so here's Paul and Silas. I don't know if you've ever had your plans, like great plans. I mean, they're going to share the gospel in Asia Minor, and then psh, this vision comes, and do you remember what it was? It was a man in Macedonia saying, come back this way. And Macedonia is kind of in northern Greece, and it's kind of up in the mountains. And what's, what's interesting is then they go, and there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. Does, do you remember why not? Yeah, it's in my notes that I'm supposed to be talking about right now. Okay, go ahead. It's so not in your notes. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a synagogue in, uh, in Philippi. What a great segue. Uh, because a synagogue required that there be 10 Jewish men. Uh, women didn't count, so they needed 10 Jewish men in a city before they could establish a synagogue. And they didn't have, the Jewish population wasn't um, that, big and that big, so they weren't able to have a synagogue there. And Philippi was really kind of a military outpost, and they, that synagogue wasn't there. They had believers because, obviously, it says in the book of Acts that Lydia was a worshiper of God. Now, somehow she had heard about all of that. She'd, she had some kind of a foundation. Um, but when Paul spoke to those women at, by a river, and when we were in Philippi, we went outside 
Um, and that river, it's, it's really a little creek. It's not that big. It still runs through there. There's a bridge that you can stand on that was from that time. But there, it, so he went outside the city to this river, and that's where he met this group of women. And when he explained the gospel to them, Lydia responded. Tell me what you think. What is the difference between a Christ follower and a worshiper of God? Lydia was a worshiper of God, but after she heard the gospel became a Christ follower. What's the difference? A relationship. Huge, right? Not understanding the relationship. What else? Head knowledge versus heart knowledge. Good, right. Because there are a lot of Americans who understand about God, right? But, and there are people in our churches that understand about God, but not all of them are Christ followers. We might have people in our families that understand about God, but are not Christ followers. Um, but Lydia understood both of those two things and became a Christ follower. Interesting, follower. Lydia became the first European convert whose name we know was a woman. And, and she obviously was a wealthy woman. She was a, 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 a merchant in the city and a seller of purple cloth. There is a lot of purple in the room this there morning. There is a ton of purple. That's kind of crazy. So she was a, a seller. And, and <laughs> Did you purple. guys like plan that because you knew like the Lydia story was coming up? <laughs> well done. So she became this influential founding member of the church there at Philippi. No husband is mentioned that doesn't talk about it. So it's assumed that she was probably a widower, which is why she or had... Or a widow. Been. Yeah, that's right. That's what it's called, right? A widower is so a guy. So it was a... <laughs> yeah, okay. Got that. Uh, <laughs> right, thank you. So during, during the Roman era, really only wealthy people wore purple cloth because purple, the dye, had to have been extracted um, like drop from drop uh, from a certain shellfish. So it was very difficult to get the purple dye. Matt said, oh yeah, it was probably from one of those Macedonian oysters. Has anybody ever heard of Macedonian oysters? You're right, because there isn't anything. <laughs> I googled it after you said that before. He said, yeah, you know, those famous Macedonian oysters. And I said, no, there's not. But it was a, a shellfish. So her business catered to the wealthy customers of Philippi. And, um, and her home... Justin's looking this up. It, you won't find it, I promise I'm, you. I'm afraid she's right. So, but you be... Again. You tell us again. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so her business catered to all the wealthy people, maybe even going as far as Rome to, to take her cloth. So Paul and his friends stayed at her home, obviously having a home big enough for all of them to stay in. So that's who Lydia was. Now, in, honey, in, go to your notes. Interesting. <laughs> a couple of interesting things are that the early, the early churches they didn't have church buildings, public buildings, so they would meet in public places or they would meet a lot of the early church leaders were women uh, because uh, uh, they could house the people. Their husbands were off at Senate, the Senate in Rome, and Christianity um, elevated the status of women. Um, 
in wonderful ways. And so it was just this great message for men and women and for rich people and for poor people. And so it was a completely unique message that they were getting that confirmed what these God followers understood. And interestingly, during the, during the time of the first century, like, did you ever think of this? Nobody in the Bible knew they were in the Bible. So when they're talking about the scriptures and looking at the scriptures, they're talking all about the Hebrew scriptures, which is what we call the Old Testament. All the way through the New Testament, when they talk about scriptures, they're not talking about the Gospels necessarily. They're talking about all of the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature of what we call the Old Testament, which is kind of interesting to keep in mind. And at the end of many of Paul's letters, when he says, greet the brethren, and he lists the names, many of the names listed are women. So they're the cisterns. (laughs) No, cisterns are where they store water. So anyway, as you could see that pattern of how the gospel was shared, there was opposition. If you are facing opposition in living as a Christ follower and in wanting to share your faith with friends or family or within your church, know that that is a part of the scriptural pattern of what happens. Now with Paul and Silas, it was, they were so annoyed by this slave girl who was going around prophesying and saying the right things. When he, when he cast the spirit out of her and then it upset people and then they got thrown in jail. And, you know, one thing that hit me when Lee was reading was, um, do you remember after the jailer was, um, came to faith in Christ and heard the message saving himself from killing himself, um, do you remember what he did for Paul and Silas? He washed their wounds. What if we did that? There's so many people living out these whatever dreams that aren't God's dreams for their lives, and they just end up beat up and wounded. What if we could be wound washers for them rather than say, see, I told you so kind of people. So the interesting thing is they didn't just stay in Philippi. They moved on because there was more people to share the gospel with. Well, they were told to get out. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, both of those are true. Yeah, and even the believers are like, no, we're getting you out of here because they didn't want him to die. And they, ca- they chewed out Paul when he'd say, no, I want to stay. I want to debate these guys. And they'd say, no, get out of here or you're going to be like. So Paul went on his third missionary journey and, as a matter of fact, returned back through Philippi in Acts chapter 20, just in mentioning going to these places. Then he returns to Jerusalem. Now, during these missionary journeys, he wrote most likely the earliest writing from the New Testament is the book of Galatians, which is written to um, Christians in Galatia, which is a region, not a city. And that's uh, what scholars believe is the first of Paul's letters. Then there's First and Second Thessalonians, and then he wrote during this time first and second Corinthians and Romans. And you know it's interesting because everyone says, "Oh, I want to be like a first century church." If you go back and read Paul's letters, you can understand what they're going through because he's responding to issues. Those first century churches were a mess. Think about it because there was no central church then. You know, it was some believers coming and saying, "My my aunt was healed by Jesus." 
you know, and, and all these connections were being made and dots were being connected. And they, um, that's why Paul wrote these letters to, to course correct them mid course. So Paul returns to Jerusalem and gets arrested in Acts 21, 27. It says this. Um, so Paul arrives at Jerusalem the next day, I'm looking at 27, or chapter 21, verse 26. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Verse 27, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. So the whole city was roused and came running from all directions. They seized Paul. They dragged him in from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. This would make a great movie. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. He really went through it, didn't he? Well, so he gets arrested, and he goes before the Sanhedrin. And he gets moved up to Caesarea, and then to Antipatris. Then he makes this journey to Rome, and the shipwrecks, and the snake bites, and all the crazy stuff going on. And in Rome... He is under house arrest. So he is in prison. He is shackled to a Roman guard. And he's, re he's receiving guests. He's witnessing to the guards. Can you imagine being a Roman guard shackled up to Paul? <laughs> Relentless. Huh? And, all, and, and he's, the Roman guard sees all these people coming to greet him and receiving guests, and witnessing, and Paul's writing letters. And Paul, at this point, probably wasn't doing the handwriting himself, meaning he's dictating these letters. And so the Roman guards are sitting there having to listen, first, getting to listen firsthand to what we call our holy scriptures as they were being written and recorded. And it was during this time that Paul wrote Philemon and Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and 1 Timothy and Titus and 2 Timothy where he talks about, um, I may not be here long. I still want to get over to Spain. That's where he was wanting to go next. But then he was likely killed in about 64 A.D. And it was during this time of Roman house arrest and being uh, in prison that Paul wrote this letter that we have. The Philippian church remained really one of Paul's most loyal supporters. Uh, they sent him money when he was in Thessalonica um, so that he wouldn't have to live off, the churches, uh, off of the church there um, that he was just starting because he didn't have uh, endless resources. He was supported by the churches that he founded. So the Philippian church was a very big financial supporter to, uh, to Paul. And so... It was probably Lydia it and her purple been, cloth. Could have been Lydia. 
So later, when they heard that he was low in funds in Corinth, they sent him money also there. And after that, they may have lost track of him for years because it was about 10 years later that they heard that he was imprisoned, uh, probably in Rome. Um, And he was under house arrest, but even under house arrest, he, he had to rent a house that he was imprisoned in, and he had to buy his own food. So he still needed money, and they sent uh, the money for him. They sent it through um, a man named Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus is mentioned in the book of Philippians as one of his biggest supporters. What do you think his nickname was? Ditus? Paphra. Paphi. Paphi. Epi. Dity. So anyway. I'm going with Dity. So he sent Epaphroditus to, uh, to, take, to take care of him. But then Epaphroditus became severely ill to the point of death. And so after he recovered, Paul sent him back to Philippi. We read about that all in the book of Philippians. And he sent this letter back to the Philippian church. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to tell them why he was sending back Epaphroditus. And the letter he sent back is the letter to the Philippians, the epistle of Paul to the Philippians. And he wanted to help them understand where he was and what was going on and help them respond to their circumstances as Christians should. And so we have the, the letter to the church at Philippi. Now, when you get a letter, you don't just read a couple um, paragraphs out of it and then you just put it down for a while, then you pick it up and read again. When you get a letter, or remember when you used to get letters, You would read through the whole thing. So this morning, we're going to read through the whole letter all at once. And I love this because all of a sudden, all of these, remember when Matt said last night that that Christian tattoos come from the book of Philippians. You're going to hear one, you're going to go, oh, wow, that's where that is. Oh, that's there too. So wait till you hear it all. Can I read chapter one? No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm... Now, I've got the NIV, but you have the NASB, right? Correct. Okay. So whatever you have is, you might not be able to follow along exactly, but you can follow along. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. I love that it's in Christ Jesus. I am in Christ, out of Christ, I don't want to go. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and make and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, 
it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of the Lord, to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me when I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have also always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I think, see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed, because you had heard that he was sick. For he, indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my beloved, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Eudia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing, forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in what circum whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. When have you ever done that? Just sat and read through a whole letter, even out loud. I never do. 
I get through the first paragraph and I think, oh, that's something that was great. I should just kind of dwell on that for a little while. But when you read it all together, it all just makes a little bit more sense. And it's like, oh, that's where that is. That's where that one is. What are some of the words that were repeated as we read that whole letter? What did you find? Rejoice. Huge, right? Rejoice. What else? Peace. Yeah, a lot about, a lot about peace. Back. Good. Good. There's, there's something that we have got to do. There's a lot of Paul is saying that we are going to have to be doing. We're going to be looking over some of those things in the next four days. What is Philippians? Uh, how is it going to de- directly... Um, help us. Because really, in the end, that's what it is. If this were just something, a letter that was just for the church at Philippi, I don't think God would have included it in our scripture. There is something in Philippians that is for us. And Paul is not just saying, this is what I've done, but he's saying, this is how I want you to respond when you're in similar circumstances. What are some of the verses that jumped out at you, in addition to the overall thrusts? Yeah, good. yeah, whatever is pure, whatever. Yeah, that's a great, isn't that a great one? Yeah. I thank my God every time I remember you. Yeah. Good. Ha- having the mind of Christ Jesus. Yeah. Same mind. Yeah. Good. Very Powerful. Good. To be content in all circumstances. Let's cross that one out. (laughs) I don't think that's, we're going to find out that that's not really what that means. Okay, we want. I know, right? Like, seriously, that one gets me every time. Be content, yeah. I'm kidding, we're not going to cross that one out. It really means that. (laughs) He's over there. You can't do that. Yeah, I know, right? Exactly right. There's a lot of them. One of my favorites is, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Remember that old song by Steve Green? He who began a good work in you. Good. Mm-hmm. What about, my God shall supply. Did somebody say that? All your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. My God. Well, according to the Acts passage that we read Hold before. Hold on. Another one of my favorites is, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Yeah. Sorry. There. That's all right. We get to unpack those. Um, Paul, Paul was redirected, according to the Acts passage. He was heading to Asia to do more, to visit more um, churches, but he was redirected by that Macedonian vision. And I thought... It would be appropriate kind of Maybe end. he had oysters that night. So how did you find That gave him the vision. You the know, like he ate too many oysters. Macedonian oysters. Hey, hey. Maybe. I will buy you ice cream tomorrow night or whenever the next ice cream night is. 
Yeah, but seriously, like, have you ever heard? You had to Google it, and it's not like it's popular today, right? <laughs> okay, getting back. I got to get off this oyster thing. Hold it. Okay, got back. The okay, vision. so the vision. So the, the, the whole idea of being redirected. Does God redirect people today? He does. He redirects. How does he do that? How does he redirect people today? You guys all were like, yeah, he does. Sometimes it closes doors. Okay, okay, absolutely. Closes doors. Closes doors, stops you from going, right? Stops because you Stops you from talking. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay, good. Oh, good. Failure is sometimes a way to redirect you, right? That's not my favorite way to be redirected. Um, but that is definitely, a, a, I think God uses that quite a bit. He kind of lets us go, right? And, and it, so that's a great way. What else? Okay, unexpected job loss. The positive to that is an unexpected job offer, you know, too. So, yeah, that's a good one, redirecting. It's a painful one. Yeah. I, um, if, you had, if you were here during Ellen's talk this morning, she had a great one where, where um, Kevin was, I'm sorry, I'm going to paraphrase this, not slaughter it for you, but Kevin was, um, just felt God was calling him into ministry, and, um, and she said, are you kidding? We've got two kids, we just bought a house, you know, we've got great jobs, we're making a lot of money, and... Um, and ended up going that's what God redirected them that's you know heading one direction and really that's a great direction to head in you know all that but then God re redirected them there's a great story there you'll have to have her um, tell you but it was a a great one so if if you have ever been redirected by God how did you know it was God okay lined up with scripture at the time, okay, perfect. How? What happened? Can you tell us? Okay, then don't. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm giving you. A okay. Oh, wow. So God really changed your, yeah, unbelievable. That's great. You know, for Paul to go into Macedonia, God had to close doors, and he had to close a door to the south, and he had to close a door to the north. And Paul, the only way he could go, one direction was the ocean. The only way he could go was to the east. Has God ever closed a door on you? Has he closed a door on you? How did it feel? How did it feel? Ouch. Yeah. Good. What, now what do I do?
Wow. Wow. So God often closes doors. I don't think door closing, I think that oftentimes doors closing are painful. Um, you know, you have your hope set on something or you're, this is what my idea, my dream, and God just, you know, kind of closes it down. I'm trying to think if I've ever had a, a door close experience, a closed door experience, where um, I was just grateful at the time. When do you see God's work? It's not often at the time that those doors are closing. It's not often at the time where God is redirecting your path. It's oftentimes looking back, right? You don't have any idea what's ahead oftentimes, but it's often looking back where you see God has moved. God has worked. God has done just what he said he was going to do, and you were in at, the t- at the point where you were listening to his voice. And working and going the direction he was going. It's really hard to reserve judgment when something happens to you. Because at the time, it seems like it could be the worst thing. You know, um, the only one that came to my mind, I'm sorry, honey, is when this girl broke up with me. (laughs) One of many. One of many. And it was the worst thing. But Looking at now, looking back, that was a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. That's so obvious. <laughs> and that's that. That I, I guess if I if we could hold on to the ability to reserve judgment oh, on yeah. on whatever's going on in the staring us in the face, you know, biting our nose off our face, if we could reserve judgment. For now. And there are some things that are just garbage that go on now, and you can call them garbage. And yet, even those can be used by God. But, but to give ourselves some time, it's okay not to decide right then. You know what I mean? Because for Paul, God closing the doors to Asia opened up Europe to, to him. To and the gospel. To the gospel, and eventually to us. Because I'm not sure we would be where we are today in North America had God not opened the doors for Paul to go into Europe. So we really owe a great deal to him following God um, and listening to the vision that he got from the man in Macedonia. And so over the next few days, we are going to look at what Paul said to the letter to the church at Philippi and to what happened as he was obedient to where God had called him. And once we understand what Paul said to them, we can take from that what God may be saying to us today. And that is, like he said last night, no accident that we're here and diving in a little more deeply. Thank you so much for being here. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for Ananias. We thank you for... Epaphrodites, for Lydia, for Silas, for the people, countless people whose names we don't know, who shared the gospel in in a way that you were able to use to establish the church there, to reach the people there, and down the road to reach us. And Lord, that's just such a reminder that there are so many more people who need to know the strength and the light and the love and the joy and the peace that is available to us that was created 
to be ours that we were created to experience. And so we pray, Lord, that you would continue to walk with us this week, walk with us um, day by day, and that we would be open to looking for you and that we would be in you, Lord Christ, and out of you we would not go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll look forward to Ellen's announcement.